listening to BuddhistGeeks.com, February 26th, 2007, Episode 8, Where Are All the Western Rinpoches? In this podcast, Phil Stanley discusses lineage in Western Buddhism, the lack of Western teachers, and what it will take to develop more qualified individuals. Phil notes that we are in an awkward phase in Western Buddhism where we have several intermediary teachers and few fully empowered and authorized lineage holders. He discusses the development of such teachers in terms of training and cultural and economic resources. Phil also discusses the development of Western translators. This is part three of a three-part series. If you're interested in sponsoring our podcast, please visit www.buddhistgeeks.com forward slash advertise. What will it take for us to develop Western teachers? I mean, we are having a few, like you mentioned, Lama Suya Das and Reggie Ray. And there's obviously the issue of people being dedicated to practice and, mm-hmm. and doing the right and things they need to do mm-hmm. to develop realization. Mm-hmm. But then there's also seems to be issues about developing teachers in the Western context that maybe there's, because we don't seem to have very many right at this point, mm-hmm. but that seems like something that will need to happen eventually. Um, so are there, do you think there are things that need to come about or mm-hmm. things that need to be in place for that to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, let me make one more comment about the prior discussion yeah, sure. and then get back to this. Um, it's not uh, the, my intent of my comments before were not to minimize the importance of lineage. Right. You know, right. it's hugely important and um, often it is the case that there are these explicit lineages that are coming down. And, and clearly, uh, one of the powerful things about Tibetan Buddhism is there was this very strong, deep traditions that were being passed on, whether it's the Karmapa lineages or, or whatever it is. Um, and part of it is that there is this um, deep lineage that's, that is being passed on, uh-huh. you know, realization that's being passed on. Right. And then there are controversies about, well, I'm the lineage holder and you aren't, and right. all this stuff. So it, it gets murky at the fringes. But the, the main trunk of this whole process is, is that there is a sense of really a transmission from one generation to the other, uh-huh. and, that, and that there's a sense of a lineage holder passing it on. Right. So it's not to underestimate that. That's the heart of it. But, uh-huh. it, you know, it gets much more complex than that. So anyway... Um, yeah. Let's see, what was the, <laughs> the other... About um, developing Western teachers for Tibetan Buddhism, you know, mm-hmm. like one question is where are the Western Rinpoches, but I know that's connected into the whole reincarnation uh, idea of that and tolkus, and, mm-hmm. but it, it could be just a question in general about how will we develop Western teachers, because mm-hmm. right now it seems more rare in the sense of having the same status as a Rinpoche or a guru mm-hmm. in, in Tibetan Buddhism. And we have a lot of Western teachers at different levels, but not necessarily at that degree of uh, mm-hmm. acknowledgement. Well, there's several sides to this. For example, the Rinpoche lineage uh-huh. issue, is, is it's hard to see how that would work in the West. Right. Um, there are some Westerners who've been acknowledged as Rinpoches, um, and issues around how to train them and what's happened with them. We're in an awkward phase now, like the Acharyas within the Shambhala tradition are um, sort of an intermediate level of authorization. They're they're not being authorized to give Abhishekas. They're not authorized to, as it were, gather their own students. Um, Although uh, I'm sure that there are students who feel particularly connected to... um, 
acharyas, mm -hmm. you know, a particular acharya, right. and feel like they're really benefiting from that acharya, and in some sense, then the acharya is functioning as a teacher, an important teacher for them. But nonetheless, the setup is not that they're fully empowered gurus. Right. So it's a it's a mixed sort of level stage in this this process. Uh -huh. You know, in general, it hasn't worked well. I mean, Trungpa uh, appointing. Tom Rich, you know, as Ursul Tenzin, as his regent, was a major step. That was a huge deal. And um, it's interesting that that, you know, that hasn't continued as a direct line, that um, the Sakyong has, you know, become the heir. Um, so it would, at some point, we need this to become, um, yeah. you know, some sort of really, truly Western people teaching at the highest levels, and we don't have that at this point often. Suri Das being another example, you know, uh -huh. example of someone who's gone for it. Uh -huh. So it's a problem. In terms of training, also, we don't have the sort of deep cultural context that they had in Tibet, like the Shadras and monastic colleges, and uh -huh. and also highly developed uh, economic systems that supported major teachers. You know, when a major teacher emerged, the culture, he would magnetize people, usually he, mm -hmm. sometimes she, mm -hmm. would magnetize cultural resources that would support him to do things, mm -hmm. and we don't have those contexts, so there's not the training systems uh -huh. as well as the um, economic background. You know, we don't have enough people to have a Buddhist center with a preacher in each town. <laughs> right, right. We don't have a cultural construct of how you have a position called a preacher, and that there's a general expectation of how much that person should make. Uh -huh. You know, we don't have that. It's a very awkward thing right now. So it seems like some other things need to happen before we start mm, addressing that question, like for example, more of our cultural support for that dedicated practice needs to be in place, because right now it's mm -hmm. a little bit spread out, you know, if a person mm -hmm. wants to like, dedicate themselves, they have to travel probably a good distance to do something like that, whereas in Tibet, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have to go very far to to do that at all. Right, and if you were a virtuous person with some uh, capacities and, and uh, talents, the people would see that and say, okay, we'll support you. Like right now, generations, uh, younger translators, people who want to become translators, very difficult thing. They get two, three years of Tibetan or Sanskrit or Naropa, right. or they piece it together struggling, studying with someone like... Uh, you know, an individual translator in some city somewhere. Yeah. And then how do they make it to becoming a, you know, they need 10 years, say, of, of real hard work to become uh, reasonably uh, independent translators, and there's no economic basis for that. Well, people starting slowly to step in. We have one graduate who's being funded by some donors, and she gets sent around the world to study with translators and to be at programs and to work on texts. And then the London Translation Committee, their 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 donors have said you need to be developing younger generations. They now have a a scholarship program, you know, an apprenticeship program, and they took one of the Naropa graduates as their first person for that. Um, but it's, they have to piece it together, you know. And so some of them think, well, if I go to doctor program, I can get some funding at least. It's not like they really want this. Some of them don't necessarily want to go to doctor program. They want to be a Dharma translator. You know? Right, and that's the place where you can get some, some money. You know? yeah. yeah, so some of them think of that not because it's what they really want to do, but it's right. a possible thing, and uh -huh. it's not necessarily the best motivation for going to graduate school, but um, and we we do have graduates you know who really want to go to a doctoral program as well as be a Dharma translator. So those are ideal for that. But 
So, and I think we need more training and more study for teachers, or at least the opportunity for some students. So, Dembala, Charlie Dembala, and I are ta- talking about starting a translator uh, group for Natart Institute here, uh, and and um, him teach every day texts. Yeah, and um, people would we, we were thinking ask them to have at least two or three years worth of Tibetan, whether at Naropa through Naropa or not, mm-hmm. and. Um, um, I feel fairly confident that we could probably attract some donor money for this mm. because you've got people who've div- invested two or three years in their life. They've shown real capacity. We know them. We know what their state of mind is. Mm-hmm. And um, they're um, capable and skilled. You know, have a talent for it. And so it's a relatively low-risk situation to ask a donor to give you know, give $12,000 a year for four years. And, right. and they'll work and be taught very diligently years doing intensive daily translation work and give you some advanced courses throughout that four or five years. So when when you come out, you're really not only uh, trans, uh, trained in Tibetan, but intellectually trained too. One of the problems being a translator is Tibetan is such a... I mean, uh, Buddhism is such a uh, developed tradition intellectually. Sadhana is just studded with philosophical concepts and teachings from the Mahayana and Hinayana that many practitioners don't really fully understand. And so when you have a translator who's more tantric-oriented translating those texts, there's levels of what's going on that they're missing. So we could have a new generation of of students who would have more of the technical background. I mean, they need to go on retreat and and have, you know, ideally a teacher who really inspires them and knows their mind and works with them and transforms them and then you combine that with the sort of intellectual you know real training in, in the teachings of the tradition uh-huh. and and then you have a, a new type of translator you know right. yeah that's not to um, minimize the, the the deep learning and you know personal um, transformation that translators have gone through through this first generation or so working right. with Tibetan masters it's not to uh, underestimate the value of that and the depth of that at all, but we could have more training. You know, we can have, people can stand on our shoulders, you know, and go beyond whatever we, we've accomplished. This has been a presentation of BuddhistGeeks.com, copyright 2007. Music in this podcast provided by c for chaos For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.c4chaos.com. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. 
You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.